My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Are you blessed? Don't answer. Because today there's going to be a big football game and dollars to donuts, whichever team wins, one of them is going to get up behind the microphone and go, I'm blessed. Does that mean the guy who lost isn't blessed? Have you ever heard somebody who lost a big game get up and go, you know what? I'm really blessed. But they are. They just lost the big game. It happens. And what do you do? You got a whole nother season and maybe you'll play the big game next season or the season after that. I remember watching all the way back in 1980. (coughs) We lost that one. Nobody said they were blessed. I remember watching the one with Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb. We lost that one. I don't remember anybody saying we were blessed. So somebody's going to say they were blessed today. But the truth is, if you believe in Jesus, you're always blessed. Thank you, Danny. He's right on. Now, if you look up the word for blessed in the Greek dictionary, it's makarii. And it means blessed. Happy, blissful, fortunate, well-off, envied by others, or supremely blessed. Now, John MacArthur says that it means divinely bestowed well-being that believes that belongs only to the faithful. Let me say that one more time. Blessed is a divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. Blessed. Well, it must be important because Jesus said the word blessed eight times in this sermon. Did you hear it? Now, if we grew up with the King James and many of us did, we never said blessed. We always said blessed. In fact, you remember when your your small children are going through that stage where they're learning the rules of grammar and they learn that if you put ed on the end, it makes it past tense and they runned, and they stopped, right? And they sound like an old-timey preacher because they're adding that on. So I'm going to try not to be an old-timey preacher, and I'm just going to say the word blessed. But in my heart and my King James memory, it might come out blessed now and again. Now, there's two parts to each one of the Beatitudes. By the way, you know your pastor. I had to find out where the word Beatitude came from. Because there is no word other than in this place, in this Bible, that we use the word beatitude. It comes from the Latin beatus, which is the word for blessed. And it just became the beatitude. If you're, if you're running through the words you use every day, beatitude is not one of them. Now, the beatitudes that we're working on today have two parts. They have a description, blessed are the, and they have a proscription, a promise, they shall. So you've got the description, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, right? And you've got the promise, for they shall fill in the blank. Now, how can I put this? Well, let me steal something from the application Bible. This is what they write in their paragraph on the Beatitudes. 
The idea of being poor in spirit is the key to all that is to follow. You cannot mourn without appreciating how insufficient you are to handle life on your own strength. You cannot be meek unless you know you've needed gentleness yourself. You cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness if you proudly think that you are already righteous. You cannot be merciful without recognizing your own need for mercy. You cannot be pure in heart if your heart is full of pride. You cannot be a peacemaker if you believe that you are always right. You cannot identify with Christ in the face of negative reactions from others without dying to yourself and renouncing your own rights. All of these beatitudes are rooted in humility of being poor in spirit. That's what the application Bible says. But I want you to think about this. A famous speaker was preparing a message on the Beatitudes and was having trouble coming up with an opening remark, a story, an anecdote, or something. And as she was preparing it, her children came down for breakfast and she said, find something in the kitchen on your own. And I don't know if this happens in your house, it happens in ours. There are two Pop-Tarts in an envelope. And somebody will open the envelope and eat one Pop-Tart. And then the other part that's there. Well, you know, I don't like odd numbers and I don't like things that are undone. Well, the three kids found one Pop-Tart and they're arguing over who is going to get the Pop-Tart. And it's getting louder and louder and louder and all she wants to do is come up with an opening um, story for her sermon and she shouts, will one of you be a peacemaker? The littlest one and I'm imagining Jonathan in my brain, grabs the Pop-Tart and he says, I'll be the peacemaker, Mommy. Here's a piece for you. Here's a piece for you. And here's a piece for you. And she had her opening story. But we're going to dig a little bit deeper than that today. And I, I want you to think about the... Te uh, sorry, my brain got lost. The Beatitudes as being almost a new Ten Commandments. If you think about the Ten Commandments, they were all things that you did or did not do. You know, thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt have one God. Thou shalt not make idols. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt honor, right? They were all things that we do. There's not one thing in the Beatitudes about what we should do. They're all about who we are. And at the end, it talks about who we are being affected by the people around us. So let's look at them one at a time. I don't know if you've ever written down all the Beatitudes. Like, I love those people now that you can do this with your phone and they go out and they interview people. Do you know the Ten Commandments? People can usually only come up with about three or four. Could you, without looking, list all the Beatitudes? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to go in order, and you can at least write them down, and you'll have them all in one place. But the first one is the poor in spirit. Some scholars call this humility. The application Bible calls it an emptiness. I'd like you to think about it this way. You're poor in spirit when you finally realize that there's nothing you can do to reach God. 
You can't, and we said this a couple of summers ago, you can't earn, learn, try, or buy your way into heaven. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing inside of you. There's nothing you can do. And then you're going to have to rely on God. And what does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know they can't do it on their own. They shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, how do you inherit it? Because God claims you as his child because Jesus died for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they can't do it on their own. Well, then we get to the next one. Blessed are those who mourn. What are we mourning? Well, some people go right for the, the loss of loved ones or the loss of, I don't know about you, but at at 62, there's things I can't do that I could do when I was 52 or 42 or 32. And I'm sorry to say that I don't like going on my classmates' webpage for my high school because more and more of my friends are no longer on this soil. And I don't want to be on that list. That's sort of the obvious, but what if we were mourning because we realize that there's nothing in this world that can get us to Jesus. What do they tell you? Go to high school, get good grades. You go to college, get good grades. You'll get a good job. You get a pretty wife. Amen. You get a nice house. You get a big bank account. You get a nice car. They keep telling us that all of those things will make you happy or blessed. And then what happens? Somebody will get all those things and they'll go, it's just not enough. The rich young ruler, I believe, pulled up in his Toyota Camry and closed the door. And he walked up to Jesus and he said, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, here's a list of commandments. He says, I've kept all those. It's not enough. The world is not getting me to where I'm truly happy. When you realize that you can't do it on your own, poor in spirit, and that the world can't do it for you, then you're truly ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's the promise there? Those who mourn shall be comforted. How are we comforted? Because God wraps his arms around us through the love that he shared with us through Jesus Christ. That brings us up to the next. Blessed are the meek. Now, one person uh, in the commentary said, and I like this, that meek is the opposite of being out of control. That meek really means that you're ready to take what the world and God have to offer and not fight back. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you have to come to this realization that you can't do it on your own. And you have to be able to accept the help from God. You know, I always talk about my friend, Freddie Citrone, and his favorite joke was, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. The same idea here. Meekness says, here I am, Lord. Do with me what you want, and I am not going to crawl off the altar. And what did the meek get? They inherit the earth. I tell my children, and they still laugh at me sometimes, that it's an unfair advantage being a believer and a cognitive therapist in this world of crazy. Because sometimes I just sit back and I watch the crazy happen. I realize that I have no control over the crazy. 
I'm not going to pick up somebody else's crazy. I hope you're, you're hearing this. And I'm not going to participate in somebody else's crazy. That's their crazy. Let go and let God. Or I like the t-shirt that says, not my circus, not my monkeys. Meek. I'm willing to let the person who has the power and the authority be in control. And then all these things shall be added unto me. The next thing on our list of Beatitudes is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think the best example I have for this is 8.15 on a Wednesday night. Now that's funny, Vicky just made a face at me. 8.15 on a Wednesday night, I usually have my notes done, and I'm getting in the car, and if Vicky's not working, I call her up, and I say, are you hungry? She goes, well, you know, I had this or I had that. What do you want? I said, I don't know. What do you want? She says, you got a hankering? I said, I, I, I don't have a hankering. I'm, I'm past the hankering. I'm just hungry. She goes, well, I don't know. So then I start listing all the restaurants I'm going to pass between here and our house, particularly in Deptford. You got a McDonald's. You got a Boston Market. You got a Taco Bell. You got a, a Wendy's. If you go the other way, I could pick up something at Chi-Chi's or, or uh, Adelphia's. Turn the corner, I could pick something up at Olive Garden. I could hit a Wawa, I could hit a Chick-fil-A, I could hit... Now, if you're listening, none of those places, please don't listen too hard, none of those places serve decidedly healthy food. They're usually dropped in a fryer. But I'm hungry. And I have to stop, and somebody stops for me sometimes and says, you know what? Come home, and I've got something for you that is healthy. Now, sometimes I stop at Wendy's, and I love that spicy chicken sandwich. But you know what? I like it when I get home, and there's a delicious, healthy meal waiting for me. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness until you need Righteousness, until you know that you are not righteous enough that you need to find it someplace else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they'll be satisfied. Now, I'd like to argue with Jesus when we get to heaven after I find out if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. But I got to tell you, the more I know, the more I want to know. I'm not sure I'm ever going to be satisfied with the knowledge I can gain here, but that puts me back to number two, doesn't it? But when I get to heaven, it says in Hebrews that I will know all. I will finally get to the place where I don't have any more questions because they'll all be answered. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Merciful is the next one. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I, I'm going to step out of the Greek and Hebrew here for a second into the Aramaic. I did not learn Aramaic in seminary. I, I had to borrow this. But the word for mercy in Aramaic literally means to get under the skin. Or as we would say, walk in somebody else's shoes. It has to do with what we call in psychology a paradigm shift. You look at somebody and they're doing something and you just don't understand what it is they're doing 
until somebody puts their arm around you and goes, oh, that person had this experience or this event or this unmet need in childhood and all of a sudden it all makes sense. That we cannot truly give mercy until we understand what's going on with that person. There's always a story behind the story, yes? And what happens when we give mercy? We receive mercy in return. Our next one is pure in heart. And I want you to know that no matter how pure you think you are, you will never be as pure as God wants you to be. The story is told of a little boy who decided that the snow was so pure and white he was going to take it to Sunday school and show his teacher what pure looked like. And he scooped up a jar of snow and he put the lid on and he set it on his windowsill. Sunday came, he was very upset, he was yelling, who took my snow? Because you know what is in the center of every snowflake? A little piece of dirt. And all he had was a jar of water with a whole bunch of dirt in the bottom. No matter how pure we think we are, we're never as pure as God would want us to be. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, how do you get to be pure in heart? By claiming the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it says, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now you're on your way to being pure in heart. Blessed are you, it says, blessed are you, it says, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. The world does not like the truth. The world does not want to hear the truth. The world will deny the truth. They'll shout over the truth. They'll dismiss the truth. They'll ridicule the truth. They'll ignore the truth. They'll suppress the truth. And they'll persecute the truth. Jesus says, if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you receive the kingdom of heaven. Now, isn't that interesting? That's the same promise as the first promise, that you had to be poor in spirit. So if you walk this road of self-awareness, I can't do it on my own. The world can't get me there. I need to understand those around me and not be judgmental. I need to be hungry for righteousness. And I need to be pure in heart. When all of those things happen, you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. I remember my Hebrew professor in seminary reminding us that God not only called his people to act differently, he called his people to dress differently. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the Jews were not allowed to mix colors? They weren't even allowed to mix fabrics. So you couldn't have a nice wool sweater with a silk scarf. Didn't happen. It all had to be the same colors and the same materials. You weren't allowed to mix your material metaphors. So not only did they act differently, they looked differently. And you know what happens when you look and act differently than the people around you? They say, what's your problem? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than all of us? And if we're not careful, we're going to wind up falling into the pride trap. But if we're listening carefully and we hear with merciful ears why they're asking that question, 
we might have the opportunity to share the love of God. And then, just to make sure that we get the message, that if we follow these eight steps, blessed is going to look different than the world thinks it is. Because we're going to be reviled and persecuted. And Jesus says our reward will be in heaven. A friend of mine posted this the other day. It was a woman who who said, if you want to keep evil out of your house, you need to do these four things. She said, play worship music. The world hates worship music, and the devil hates worship music, and if you fill your house with worship music, the devil won't be there. Then she said, play songs about the blood of Jesus, because even more than worship music, the enemy hates to hear songs about what Jesus did for us. Then she said, if you're tired of the worship music, play good teaching. Play those speakers, the preachers that you love to hear, because they're preaching about Worship in the blood of Jesus, and the enemy won't want to live in your house. And the last thing she said was live a consistent and holy life, because the truth will always chase away evil. I I don't know about you, I don't often take things off memes on the internet, but I thought that was pretty insightful. But now we're back where we started. Are you blessed? Are you happy? Are you content? Are you securing your faith? Well, weddings, poor Vicky's heard my wedding sermon more times than I, I probably should drag her to, but I always talk about the 20, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You remember that, love is patient, love is kind, love is thoughtful, love hopes all things, endures all things, love conquers all. And I tell the couple, it is not a test for you to measure your spouse. It's a test for you to measure yourself. And I tell them, before your feet hit the floor, you got to do a checkup from the neck up and say, am I being patient? Am I being thoughtful? Am I being hopeful? Am I enduring? Am I not keeping records of wrongs? Well, I think Jesus is giving us a checkup from the neck up as Christians. Apply this to the Beatitudes. Am I aware of my inability to reach God on my own? Am I aware that the world will never fill all my needs? Am I aware, am I in control of myself and life? Am I daily seeking God's truth? Am I daily becoming more like Jesus? Am I finding obstacles in life before I'm different? Am I actively working for peace? Am I willing to suffer for living the truth? It's not an easy list. You can't do it and don't need to do it alone. Let me end with this anecdote. You've all heard of the band U2 and the the singer Bono? He says in countless ways in his life, he had been asking the Lord's blessing. I was saying, you know, I have this new song, bless it. I have family, bless them. I have this idea. He said, and a wise man said to me, stop. He said, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Get involved in what God is doing because it's already blessed. Well, Bono said, God is with the poor. 
And that's what I believe God is doing. And if you know, he is very active in the realm of ministry and missions to the poor. What is God blessing around you that he's calling you to participate in? Stop asking God to bless the things you're doing and start doing the things that God has blessed. I began with the question, are you blessed? And some would say you could be. The Beatitudes say you should be blessed. Amen. Thank you.